0: Venice, the lagoon city that's inspired a million swoons. Romantic, misunderstood, essential on Italian itineraries. A place completely and utterly unique in Europe. Sure, it's popular, but if you know where to look, you can still find corners of Venice to call your own. And that's what this episode of Rails, Ales, and Old Towns is all about. On the show, I'm joined by two women who love to share the local side of their city with travelers. Lucrezia De Asala of Secret Venice Tours and Elena Almanzi of Row Venice. First up is my conversation with Lucrezia where we talk about some of the most common mistakes people make when visiting Venice, which drink order will make you look like a local, the magic of Venice at night, and much more. Next up, Elena and I discuss one of the coolest activities a traveler can do in the city, taking lessons in traditional Venetian rowing. Without further ado, it's time to cross the lagoon and experience Venice. What is the gap between the train and the platform. Let's welcome into Rails, Ales, and Old Towns Lucrezia, tour guide and founder of Secret Venice Tours.
1: Thank you, Scott. Hi. Hi, everyone.
0: Thanks for uh, taking the time to join me today. Thank you. So first and foremost, I would just like to ask you, what's it like getting to experience Venice every day?
1: Well, um, it's a magical place where to live, honestly. Um, I mean, there are pro and cons, of course. Nowadays, the city, as you can imagine, is pretty crowded uh, because of tourism that has become the most important income for the city. But on the other hand, I think uh, it's the ideal place where to live. There are no cars, first of all, but also it's a slow paced uh, city where basically people mostly walk everywhere or get around on a boat. It's also a very safe place where to live. So um, it's ideal for kids, but also if you like to walk around at night. What I like the most, honestly, is the fact that there's a sense of community that is not so common anywhere else because you get to meet people every day while you know going to work or simply walking around and you create connections. and. Bones with them.
0: So, you're telling me that some of us coming to visit uh, might cause a little bit of, of, of stress sometimes?
1: Well, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a tour guide. I only work thanks to tourism. So, I'm totally okay with people coming to visit and I love meeting people from all over the world. The thing is, sometimes there's a little bit of a lack of balance because there are some times of the year when the city is packed. And uh, it's hard even for tourists to enjoy it.
0: Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit, how you can maximize and enjoy your experience there because you can't not come to Venice.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> there's a reason why all these other places are called the Venice of this and the Venice of that, yeah. because there is only yeah. one Venice and Absolutely. there's nothing else like it.
1: It's really a unique place.
0: Well, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, and how, um, how you ended up, with Secret Venice Tours?
1: Yeah, I graduated in foreign languages and literature, So that's a little bit of my background. And then I specialized in economics of tourism and arts history. So I've always been passionate about traveling, uh, foreign languages. And, uh, you know, I always loved learning more about other cultures. After university, I ended up doing a few jobs that had nothing to do with my academic career.
0: We've, we've all done that.
1: Yeah, I've learned that. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, you know, I ended up finding uh, a job that I love because um, it was just by chance I met a university mate of mine who had already started working as a tour guide. And uh, we talked, uh, he just told me how much he loved his job. And I started considering uh, taking the exam to uh, get my tour guide's license because you need to be licensed. Um, I basically passed the exam. Quit the other job that I had and focus this uh, full time. And, uh, you know, later, basically, I decided that I wanted to be independent and be able to manage my uh, time as I wanted. So I started the Secret Venice Tours in 2018. It's been great because, despite the pandemic, uh, that was a hard time. But anyway, you know, feedbacks that came from people after the tours helped me to grow um, on a number of uh, platforms. Uh, I use Instagram, I use Facebook and Google, of course. So people can just pick me and then we customize the experience together.
0: We all want to go to Venice. We all aspire, typically, European travelers. It's going to be a one of our first trips to Europe. We want to go mm-hmm. see Venice. But What are some mistakes that you would say that people make during their time in Venice?
1: Well, for sure, the biggest mistake is to spend uh, only one day in Venice, for example. I found that uh, many people do that. They think because it's a small place, uh, it's actually possible to visit it in one day only. And uh, I totally disagree (laughs) because yes, it is a small island, but it's really dense in terms of things to see and things to do. And I think uh, because it's a slow paced place, you really need time to feel the city. To um, enjoy the atmosphere, it's not only about museums, it's not only about monuments, but actually be there and just be present. To uh, you know, enjoy and creating connections with locals as well, uh, because locals are actually you know the heart of the city. I would say, so I think you need at least uh, a couple of nights to fully enjoy it.
0: I definitely agree with that. Half of the, the fun in a European city is just being there. Just sitting there, watching the world go by, enjoying the experience. That's just as enjoyable when you go home and you think back as going into that museum and having a couple nights will give you a little more time to do that. Yeah. What's one thing about Venice that people don't know?
1: I would say, you know, they all know it's an island, of course, it's actually a cluster of islands. So uh, that makes a lot of difference because It means that when in the past, we had no bridges, almost no bridges, every little island was kind of independent. And that's what makes this place so special, because normally you have a main square in every Italian city, and then other areas that are less important. While here, yes, we have St. Mark's Square, which is the city center, but then every little island had its own square. So you end up having a number of very important and beautiful areas which were kind of independent in the past. So you have to imagine the city, not like a whole, but as a group of cities within the city.
0: When you're talking about the islands here, you're not talking about these outlying places that you read about a lot like Burano and Murano. You're speaking of the actual, what the people who don't live there like me would just call Venice.
1: Exactly. The one that looks like a fish, if you look at it from above. So it looks like a a unique island on a map, but it's actually composed of 118 little islands. So Ah.
0: You can tell the difference as you go between them?
1: Yeah, definitely. Because, uh, I mean, even today, although the city has changed a lot over the centuries, but you can see uh, different types of architecture, different type of venues. Um, There's a different vibe in some neighborhoods. So you could walk from the east to the west of Venice and uh, find out a totally different uh, atmosphere or type of city, let's say.
0: When you're exploring the neighborhoods, which one would you say is your favorite for, just hanging out
1: so let's say canareggio which is the northern uh, part of venice is definitely the most popular one for locals because uh, um, that's where they love to hang out at night Uh, there are many bars many uh, local restaurants so it's a very uh, vibrant let's say area of the city I also really like the uh, Dorsoduro, which is the students' area in the south, and it's also known as the art district of Venice because there are some art galleries. Um, so it's it's different from the rest of Venice. Is that near that Campo Santa Margherita? Exactly. Yes.
0: First time I was ever in Venice, I just like you read about, you know, in the old old days before really I was even looking up anything online. I just honestly just wandered. In the mm-hmm. place i was staying which was right near the train station um mm-hmm. and just wandered over to the left came out went to the left just wandered over and then it's like oh this is pretty scenic and this is pretty nice mm-hmm. and then there was a pizza place
1: mm-hmm. um
0: il volo
1: i believe yes it's still there <laughs>
0: yep. and um it's like oh well i've got to get some pizza and shockingly they served me a pizza with french fries on it
1: oh yeah <laughs> that's pretty popular And
0: and at the time I was like, oh my gosh, like what is going on here? French fries on a pizza. But that was just a bit of misunderstanding of, you know, naivety of me at the time, not realizing that like things change. People put, get creative with stuff. Nothing is always, it's never going to just always be traditional in Italy.
1: I love the pizza there, by the way. And uh, potato pizza is actually one of my favorites. So yeah, good choice. Well done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that was just an accident
1: yeah well but you know that's how you end up finding the best venues or exploring the best areas just you know get lost and uh, go it's with the
0: so hard these days to not just walk around and look at your phone the whole time and it's don't buy a
1: screen card so you will have no service and no google <laughs> just uh, walk around and get lost
0: <laughs> great that sounds good
1: and you know the the good thing is that sooner or later you will always find the grand canal which is the main street in venice let's say so it's not a big deal if you get lost sooner or later you will find your way back so
0: what are some specific food and drink things that you would say are unique to venice
1: so one thing for sure are the cicchetti that are basically the venetian version of the spanish tapas we could say so they are just small bites that people enjoy during the aperitivo which is more or less like the happy hour. So uh, usually most of the local bars have these uh, cicchetti on the counter and they are slices of bread with uh, cheese and cold cuts on top, or maybe seafood. Uh, You usually grab a bunch of those uh, during the aperitivo before going to dinner, or they can be a quick lunch if you are in a hurry, for example. So, I mean, you can find a similar thing in Spain, as I said, but those are really typical uh, of Venice, and you cannot find them uh, in other Italian cities. So it's really part of our culture, uh, just sharing food and uh, being together, having a glass of wine, chatting with your friends. So that's part of our lifestyle, I would say.
0: Now what, let's just make sure we know, what is mm-hmm. the etiquette on, are they complimentary? Or are you paying like there's a small amount for them because you're buying a glass of wine.
1: Exactly, you pay a small amount. The price usually goes from one Euro 50 to 250, but they are not included with your drink.
0: Budget friendly though.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah.
0: You probably couldn't spend too much at that, you'd get too full.
1: (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I mean, usually we never get more than four or five because otherwise you are not gonna be hungry enough to have dinner, so.
0: And what type of drinks? To pair up with it, like, is there a specific type of wine that is uh, favorited by Venetians?
1: Well, let's say the most popular one for sure is the Prosecco, which is a sparkling uh, white wine produced uh, on the hills of the Veneto region, approximately half an hour from Venice. Uh, But uh, the Aperol Spritz has become the most popular drink now. Um, Well, for those who don't know, uh, the Aperol spritz is made with two shots of Prosecco wine and one shot of Aperol and uh, sparkling water. Well, it's become very popular all over the country and also abroad now. Uh, The one drink I think people should try when visiting Venice uh, that they cannot find anywhere else is the Select spritz, which is made with uh, Prosecco wine as well and Select liqueur which is slightly more bitter than Aperol and uh, it's something they haven't started advertising anywhere else yet so you can only find it here like in Florence so they don't even know what it is.
0: So this is a liqueur in a similar style of Aperol but it's yeah. made in Venice or it has a history in Venice.
1: Exactly it was born in Venice in the 1920s. Yeah.
0: Ah selectonesia. Yeah.
1: That's what locals usually get uh, at the aperitivo.
0: If I walk in and just say one select spritz, do you think that I might get a little credit that they would be like, "Oh, he didn't order an aperol first. He said select. He oh, ordered yeah. it."
1: They will be surprised for sure. Yeah.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you. This is what we're looking <laughs> to do. Just surprise people a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not trying to pretend I'm a local. I just want them to think, "Oh, okay. He knows what's
1: the good stuff." Yeah. <laughs>
0: So obviously, if there's any city that you do need to have a little bit of insight on avoiding crowds and things without giving away all your secrets, would you be willing to share a couple tips on how to avoid crowds and get that own little personal slice of Venice?
1: Well, uh, as we said before, I think the best way is really to get lost. The main problem is that people are afraid of doing that. So they only walk around St. Mark's Square, the Rialto Bridge, because they know those are the highlights and they just follow the crowds. But if you're not afraid of getting lost and to walk away from the main path, well, that's, I think, the best way to explore. And you can always walk in a museum without planning it in advance and enjoy some uh, arts and architecture if you want to. But otherwise, my advice is just to stay away from the crowds and just uh, leave the main roads. That's my best advice.
0: And because it's an island or a series of islands, you can't get too far.
1: No, exactly. I mean, it's pretty much three kilometers wide, so you may keep going around in circles for a while, but I'm sure you'll find your way back sooner or later.
0: If you hit water, turn around. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So obviously you kind of mentioned it, but we have in Venice a situation where you have this square
1: Uh that
0: is world famous Uh even if you've never been to venice and you don't even know what's there you know you've heard of saint mark's square Uh obviously there's the cathedral saint mark's cathedral we have the doge palace Uh and we have the campanile all together Uh but if you had like two more let's just assume you're only going to get to five in your two days in venice or three days hopefully you're staying three days what else would you say is deserves to be up there and as well known as those, but isn't as well known right now?
1: That is a tough question. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's say I think the Rialto Bridge should not be missed because it's uh, part of the history of the city, but also the nearby area, such as the Rialto Market, for example. Uh, I mean, it's not as famous as the monuments of St. Mark's Square, but it's really part of the local culture. And if I might give an advice to those who are coming, if you're staying in an apartment, buy at the market, because it's also a good way to support the locals. One of the consequences of the population dropping is the fact that many stalls have closed over time. If you're coming to Venice uh, and you're renting an apartment, buy some food at the market, be there, experience the local life. And then um, I think if you are into art history and want to learn more, speaking about monuments, I would suggest the Academia art galleries that are not really popular, but they house a number of artworks from famous Venetian painters that I think shall not be missed.
0: The Academia? Yes. Is that the name of one museum or like a family of museums?
1: No, it's a one museum uh, situated in uh, Dorsoduro district.
0: I'm all about a scenic view. It could be from above or it could be on ground level, but just somewhere mm-hmm. where you just say like, oh, wow, this really is Venice.
1: Well, I think uh, um, one of the best views is the one you get from the Campanile, the bell tower in St. Mark's Square, because that's a 360 degrees view of Venice and uh, I've been there a couple of days ago. It was a very clear day. You could see the dolomites in a distance. So it was really breathtaking. So that should not be missed. And it's open until 9 p.m., by the way. So in the summer, for example, you can go later and enjoy sunset from up there, which is amazing. Um, Otherwise, um, I think Dorsoduro, so the very end of the district of the island, that's um, a nice area to enjoy the view of the St. Mark's Basin and St. Mark's Square from a distance.
0: And so you're sitting, you're just standing kind of, and you can look and see. Exactly. I was going to ask you, people from all over the world, you know, were are obviously really aware of this, the football in mm-hmm. Europe and especially in Italy. Who is the team that locals would support?
1: So there's the Venice Football Club, uh, which actually was in the A-League a couple of years ago. I'm not a big football fan but it was a big deal so anyway we do have a stadium uh, in the city as well it's in the east end of the island after st mark's square and so uh, they usually play there so it's possible for football fans to buy tickets and uh, uh, go watching the match at the venetian stadium well, that has
0: to be that has to be a unique situation as far as stadiums i mean surely the stadium for this club is not like a big like san zero or anything like that
1: no way it's a small one but still i mean it's usually packed with locals and because they usually play on saturday afternoon you can definitely spot people who are going to the stadium because they all wear the scarves with the colors of the uh, local team they sing heading over to the stadium so you can definitely spot them
0: (laughs) and what are the colors of the scarves green
1: black and
0: uh, uh, orange what is the best time of year to visit venice would you say
1: uh so i would say this year it's been different because the peak season has been definitely longer than usual but i would suggest people go during the winter time so like november december uh february because those are the low the slow months so there's no people in town Um, and you can fully enjoy it. The weather is not bad. It's not too cold. So if you cover yourself well uh, and put on a few layers, you will be fine. Um, It never gets too cold. And uh, you may get the chance to experience the fog in Venice, that sort of mist that actually, especially at night, provides a different type of atmosphere. And I think it's nice to experience that as well. So yeah, I mean, if you want to stay away from the crowds and avoid uh, the busy months, avoid the summer and uh, just choose the winter instead.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. The the first time I was there was in early November and Mm -hmm. it was really magical and quiet. And um, I I can't imagine Venice not in in winter myself um, because it just seemed like it was dark the whole time I was there. Practically, it felt like. But that only enhanced it surely venice is more magical at night
1: oh yeah absolutely yes and it's really um something you cannot explain you have to be here doesn't matter if you've seen plenty of pictures or videos or movies you have to be here to feel it and at night i think uh, it's the best way
0: i can remember you know just wandering around getting lost but then like you would just seemingly turn a corner and you would just see something like eight gondolas just tied up, bobbing, yeah. you know, the little yeah. splish splash of the water.
1: Exactly. Those it's, things, uh, you you don't even notice them uh, during the daylight uh, when it's crowded. You just pass, you just walk by and you don't even pay attention. While at night you can notice all those details that make a difference.
0: The shadows, the lights, the street lighting, <laughs> okay. you know, things like that.
1: And because people usually ask me that, um, don't be afraid to walk around at night because it's a safe place. And so even though some uh, alleys can be a little dark, uh, it's actually totally fine to walk around by yourself. So just uh, go for it. Don't hesitate.
0: All right. Can you tell the listeners how they could follow along and get an inside peek? Because I'm following you on um, social media and it's great to get an insight of Venice. Um, But if they're heading to Venice anytime soon, how should we get in touch with you if we want to um, see your side of the city?
1: Well, uh, I have a website, which is tour.com. You can find me there or also on Instagram and Facebook. And the pages are called the Secret Venice Tours. So you can text me or send me an email and um, I'll be glad to share some tips uh, or give you some recommendations. Or if you want to book a tour, uh, I'll be happy to show you around so
0: thank you so much for uh taking your time today to uh talk to me i'm really excited for my next trip and you really helped me get even more excited for it <laughs>
1: thank you scott
0: another thing you have to do when in venice is to get out on the water the most famous ways to do this are to take it ride right on a gondola or use the city's water buses called vaporettos but now I'm joined by someone who is part of a group offering a completely unique experience learning traditional Venetian rowing from locals while supporting a nonprofit organization doing good in the city. Please welcome Elena Almanzi from Row Venice. Ciao. Ciao, Elena. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today?
2: Doing great. Thank you so much.
0: The first question I wanted to ask you is this traditional Venetian style of rowing. What is it?
2: What is it? Yeah. So, yeah, it's something strange because when you talk about uh, rowing around the world, people always think about sitting, uh, rowing, like Cambridge against Oxford or Olympic Games or whatever. But um, uh, we do kind of the same thing, but uh, standing in the other side of the oar. This because uh, in Venice we have really small canals and we can't uh, uh, simply row facing backwards. Otherwise, we would bump into every single thing around us. <laughs> and. Um, in Venice, like the Republic of Venice developed in the years, uh, this uh, unique style of rowing in which uh, yeah, basically you are independent while you're rowing because you can kind of see where you're going and you don't need an extra person behind you driving you around. And also while you're standing up, you can use your body weight uh, to propel the boat rather than using all your muscles. That makes this sport really efficient rather than tiring. And um, we can say that this is, in my opinion, this is the most uh, uh, developed style of rowing because the Republic of Venice had the chance uh, to improve everything, every single aspect uh, of this uh, during uh, centuries of uh, the Venetian story, we can say.
0: The tendency is to think, ooh, this is going to be sitting down and it's going to be very hard work. This is, from what it appears, it's a little more relax?
2: You you can actually choose. I mean, we do that as a sport here in Venice, which is really followed by the people who live here. Uh, so if you want to take it as a really active sport and uh, yeah, hard activity to be done, you can do it. But uh, in the same way, you can also do it as a relaxing activity of the afternoon or of the evening, because this was uh, not a sport in the beginning when it has been invented, but was actually the only way to uh, move around the city.
0: So <laughs> when I've been doing my research about Row Venice, you're very adamant that the, the boats that you uh, use for the tours are not gondolas.
2: So I always say to every single person who come in Venice, learning how to row that uh, not all the boats that we have in Venice, not all the rowing boats are gondolas. Is like saying that all the cars are uh, Ferrari, kind of. Obviously, there's a truck, there's a bus, uh, there's a Ferrari, there's a a smaller or bigger. There are so many different cars uh, and every single car has a kind of a purpose. You choose your model depending on what you have to do with it. And since our boats in Venice were exactly like cars in a normal city, people used to uh, kind of order to the boat builder, to the boat maker, the boat they needed. So a gondola is kind of uh, uh, between 11 and 12 meters long. It's like a big boat. uh, uh, And it was the first, we can say, taxi of the city of Venice. So it uh, used to carry people around. Then there were the bate, which are the boats we are using now um, for our lessons, which are actually, they were used as a uh, truck, as the truck of the lagoon to carry heavy stuff from the islands to the city or used as I don't know, like fire department boat uh, because they were they were really stable. It was impossible to to tip over, so they were used by um, people who were merchandising like between islands and the city, like fish or fruits, vegetables. A batea is uh, symmetrical, hundred percent symmetrical. While a gondola is not, because the shape of a gondola is kind of curved to help uh, the gondolier uh, going straight, uh, spending less energies. Uh, while rowing solo, Uh, while a batea was mainly used by more than one person, like two or up to four people. Uh, The gondola is uh, nowadays used by gondolers uh, to go around the city with tourists uh, or for the regattas.
0: The big competition is the Regatta Storica? Yes. Is that the one in September?
2: The first Sunday of September, yes.
0: I happened to be there once during that and I did not know that it was happening. My wife and I were at a bar right near the Rialto Bridge and I'm going to include the name of that in the notes of the bar because I've been looking to look meaning to look it up but I forgot the name and we just sat in the dock and were able to watch the regatta going by and it was a really magical experience
2: I can tell I mean I take part in that so the the last few years I mean the last uh, kind of nine years it's a it's a nice thing to to do, is it? Like when you when you compete in that race, and you it's the only race you you official race that you do in the Grand Canal, and you have all the people cheering from the beginning to the end of the race, and you're rowing in the Grand Canal. It's like really really a big emotion. I mean,
0: if you're gonna be there in the summer, go for the Regatta Storica,
2: that one. And then there are other actually regatta during the year. Ah, uh, we have. Uh, kind of 10 races during the year that we start in uh, April, late April, and we end uh, in October. So there are so many appointments and there's one per area of the Lagoon of Venice, one per island, we can say. Uh, there's one in Murano, one in Burano, one in Pellestrina, one in Lido, one in San Erasmo, one in Giudecca. So there's like plenty of races all around depending on the festivity.
0: If you're into sports, basically if you're coming to Venice, check the calendar and see if there's one of these regattas going on, because that will be one of the most local things you could see.
2: Exactly. Yes. The bate, which are the boats we're using now, uh, since nowadays people prefer to carry everything around the city using motorboats, the the model got lost, we can say, because, yeah, better moving stuff by motorboats rather than rowing them around. So they kind of forgot this kind of model of boat and we took it back. Sixty years after the last uh, the last one has been destroyed, we can say we took the model back uh, alive because it's actually the best boat uh, to to learn how to row because it's just really stable. There was a way to to keep it alive and while uh, um, showing our passion to other people.
0: If I take one of your three tours, the cool thing here from what I've seen is that. You're going to get to stand looking around, surveying the scenery. Looks fantastic.
2: It is. Yeah, it's nice. It's like the best way to pass kind a of couple of hours of a day in Venice, uh, like experiencing what the, the Venetians actually do, because it's actually what we do.
0: <laughs> there couldn't really be that many more authentic local experiences. Than...
2: Yeah. So you offer three different options. So we do these three things. Obviously, they are all, all of these are rowing lessons, uh, basic rowing lessons and about 90 minutes of rowing in which obviously, yeah, you learn how to do it, going around some canals in canarejo area, which is uh, the north side of the city in which we usually do our tours because it's quieter. Um, if the weather allows us to do that, we, do, we go also in the open lagoon, yeah, a bit farther from the city, when the weather is not bad and when our students want to go out there. We go out there in the lagoon this is our basic lesson. Um, then we have the cicchetto row. Actually combine a normal, regular lesson with a couple of stops eating and drinking some typical Venetian food. And then uh, the last one is the evening row in the Grand Canal or the daily row in the Grand Canal on some days. We don't really go uh, during the day in the Grand Canal in a um, uh, working day because it's full of uh, working boats and can be really, really busy and it's not really relaxing because we want to to do something relaxing and nice. The best hours in which we can do that is the evening or on the Sunday when there are no working boats around.
0: You haven't created this organization to get rich. It's a nonprofit. What is the exactly. main kind of ethos behind it?
2: We started this thing about 16 years ago. Um, there was Jane, who's the founder of the association, and uh, I joined there quite immediately. She's uh, English enough. of. Uh, Uh, Australian, she came here in Venice uh, 30 years and 5 years ago, something like that. And it was kind of hard for her to learn how to row because here is a really small community, we can say, even if we are kind of a big city. The ones who know how to row, they are really they they keep the technique they know as a secret. They don't want to really to uh, share their knowledge with the other people. The only way in which you can learn how to row here in Venice uh, as Venetian is uh, going out, do it by yourself. If you see somebody who's rowing, uh, try to copy his technique by watching what he's doing. You can't ask, really. And even if you ask, it's very hard to find somebody who, who knows how to explain you what you should do. He just say, look at me, this is what you have to do. And it's like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, so it, and it's, it can be even harder, especially like 30 years ago, if you were a woman, uh, and especially a foreigner, so what we was like what Jane said. Okay, so I'm gonna learn by myself. I'm gonna teach uh, foreigners how to do that, and uh, I'm gonna raise money to pay for the the boats. Uh, we had only one boat at the time for for the mooring, for the to maintain it as well, like painting and everything. If there's some extra money, we're gonna use them to sponsor the women who wanna take part in the rowing competitions and everything. Because at the time, women were not considered as good as men for the rowing competition prices and everything. So for the women at that time, they were it was reserved only the 13% of the total of the prices of the rowing competitions. We thought that wasn't fair. So when we started to raise some money, we said, OK, let's spread to the women who take part in the competitions. More people started to you know come asking for our rowing classes. We needed more instructors. And we said, let's ask other women the women who take part in the competition. So they're going to have a, basically a free English class because you, you really improve your English, your language, while you talk with the people who actually are not Italian speaking English, but English people speaking English. Sure. Uh, so a free English class plus a way to detox a, a bit from the training sessions you do every day. So like rowing, but slowly, Showing other people what's your passion, that can be a moment of joy, we can say. Also because people who are coming for our lessons are not coming because they have to. They come because they search online, they found activities, they said, this is what they want to do. Our thing is something that people choose to do. So it's a different kind of um, tourist, the one that we we meet during our classes, uh, which makes everything really like more interesting because they're not asking you sing a song for us. They're asking you, what's this? What's that? You know, like, it's better. Now, uh, yeah, we are the main sponsor so far of the women taking part in the competitions. We have been able to organize free rowing classes for all the students of the high schools of Venice during the wintertime. The only free activity they could do, actually. And then we help some rowing clubs of the city organizing uh, rowing races for beginners and stuff like that. Little things.
0: I look forward to being one of the... uh people on the boat is there anything else that you'd want people to know
2: i would like to suggest to people like a bit of like bigger thing uh, about uh, venetian tourism like try to check all the things you can do in venice before coming here try to uh, check the weather before coming here i mean not if it's raining or if it's not raining but uh, if it's August, it's gonna be forty degrees. so be prepared to that. Don't organize stuff at midday because it could be dangerous. And people usually don't know that. Uh, or when it's December, January, it's gonna get really, really cold. So <laughs> think about these two things because sometimes we struggle in the in the summertime with lots of requests for like noon lessons. And at noon in August is like literally forty degrees. and 99% rate of humidity and no breeze at all. <laughs> so,
0: do you think people just because Venice is so beautiful and it's so dreamlike, they just think that it's always perfect?
2: Uh, it's like uh, only, I, know, I don't know, like, but lots of people who come uh, doing our classes, uh, they organize everything by themselves. There are some people coming through agencies, but uh, people organizing everything by themselves and don't uh, underestimate. Uh, the weather, I mean, the, the climate of the city, because they saw so many people like,
1: uh,
2: dying <laughs> around the city and saying, no, no, I can handle it, no, you can't handle this, if you if you, if you don't know how to handle it, you, you cannot. So, this is one recommendation I want to say, and another one uh, can be like, yeah, everywhere you go, try to experience what local people do. It's not only for, about Venice, it's about everywhere in the world, like, try to find uh, what people actually do try to not to live in venice as a tourist but to live in venice as a venetian from one for one day or try to live i don't know in paris as a paris person or wherever i mean <laughs> try to kind of be one of us for one day
0: absolutely yeah it's it's about it's about a mix you're, you're gonna be happy and you're gonna feel better about your experience if you can get that local side of things wherever you travel Exactly. Of course you do the of course you do the touristy things. That's what I do when I go places. Si,
2: si,
1: Everyone does that.
0: So. But if you balance it, then you're going to be rewarded.
2: Exactly. the
0: gap between train and the platform. I hope you enjoyed the trip to Venice. And just as a reminder, I've put some information in the show notes on a few of the places discussed, including that great pizza spot on Campo Santa Margarita, and the bar with the dock on the Grand Canal where I watched the Regatta Storica. If you're digging the podcast and you had a spare moment, I'd really appreciate it if you could give it a rating or leave a review. And if you'd like a little more European travel inspiration between episodes, feel free to give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Towns.